Hello, my name is Dan Morgan, your host, and thank you for joining the Podcast Potables Network, home of both Process Potables and the Brew Coats. We are happy to be a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. You can find all things Process Potables at www.processpotables.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Process Potables. Also, we would like to thank our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. You can contact them for any real estate needs in New Jersey at 856-904-5636. And if you mention Process Potables, you can get exclusive savings. We will get you right in to the podcast right away. But first, our friends in the presence of wolves. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 49 of Process Potables. This episode is titled Making Friends, because we made a lot of friends today. We sure did. We went to Three Threes Brewing in Hamilton. We talked to John. That interview will be featured later in the episode, talking about their four-year anniversary coming up one week from today, February 1st. And now we're hanging out here at Vinyl Brewing, where we talked to Jim, because I had Joe, and now I've got it all fucked up again. Talk to Jim. That interview is going to be featured in next week's episode, but we're doing the episode from vinyl. So it's very confusing. It's a whole big deal. But Tour of Hamilton. Yeah, we're, we're just hanging out in Hamilton. A lot, lot of breweries in the area and, and some really good pizza. Shout out to Bruni's across the street, which was recommended by our guest today, Marty Teller, recurring guest. Marty, Thank thanks you. for hanging out with us. Th- thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Marty's got a few drinks in him, so <laughs> we might we might finally get I'm the... I'm on the uh, Zach Lowe uh, two, beer, uh, two beers out <laughs> Uh-oh. here. Could get a little crazy. Oh, man. So, also joined by Steve as usual. Steve, what's going on? Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, making friends. Uh, if, if that pizza did not go up to a Marty's expectation, then this would have been a completely different episode. But yeah. shout out to Bruni's. I have to say, that's probably the best sauce I've ever had. Absolutely on the, pizza. the best Delicious. sauce I've ever had. I'm not like so. a sauce guy, but you could tell how good it was on that pizza. Yeah, shout like. out to the Hamilton food scene. So, I mean, if you don't know, Bruni's pizza is ridiculous. It's got tremendous Mexican food here in town. Uh, Hamilton's about 20 minutes south of where I live, and it's just like one of my favorite places to go to have a drink here at Vinyl or just grab some great grub. So. so I don't think it's considered Hamilton, but I think it's fairly close, and maybe it's closer to you if you're north of here. But are you are you a pick guy? A what? Pick Piccolilian? Oh my gosh, yeah, wings. Oh my gosh, yeah. Absolutely. That's like Shimon, right? That's on, yep, that's on the way yeah. home. Absolutely. That's on the way home. That's on the way home. No, it's gonna stop today. We got a long day ahead of us, but. Yeah. Uh, we yeah, do have a long day, day ahead of us. But you can definitely come down to Hamilton. You can go Ham and Hamilton. 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 We've been drinking. We were yeah. doing so well, so well. Oh, well, it's off the rails now. Oh, that was the episode Steven. name I, I thought of earlier, going Ham Hamilton? and Hamilton. No, going, oh, ha- that's what it going Ham and Hamilton. Why the that fuck didn't been, you say uh, that? that should have been I just I couldn't remember. We've been drinking. We blow it. Drinking and thinking and making friends. This whole episode is a mess. This comes from a guy who didn't 
not want to uh, get a DUI in his Prius, so then he Correct. drives down a one-way street in his Prius. It's just drinking. the wrong way. Yes. He drove at the my, wrong di- way. At yeah. my direction. To Correct. Be fair. Correct. I was yes. peer pressured. All right, so we got to go around first and talk about what we're drinking here at Vinyl since we're here. So I got the flight trying to, trying to watch my calories, which is very difficult to do with this podcast. Been to the gym three of the last four days. Self-brag. Okay. But Shout out, ep- Jim. Episode is titled Making Friends. Making Friends was the first beer of my flight. It's a cherry limeade sour. Absolutely incredible. I'm already done that one. It's tremendous. I also have the... I can't read from here, man. I think it says Mango Fizz or Fuzz. Fizz. Fuzz. fizz. Mango See, Fuzz. Th- man, no, nobody That's knows. Definitely this whole thing. It's definitely a U. Mango Fuzz, which is an, is an IPA with lactose, vanilla, and mango. Very smooth, very creamy, obviously with the lactose. Then we got Glitch in the Matrix, which you'll hear... God damn it, Jim, Jim from yes. Vinyl Talk About Later, which he said was his second favorite beer that Vinyl has ever brewed, which is a whole bunch of berries put in a sour ale. And then lastly, I think this is my favorite one here because I love when they're like the extreme, extreme sour. This is I Can't Feel My Face, which has the pink, is it, is it guava? Guava, yes. Guava and sea salt. Uh, the sea salt obviously gives it that real extra like kick where like you got to pucker your lips almost when you drink it. But I like that. Very similar to the uh, Dogfish Sequench Ale for those that may know the more commercial style of that. Why are you looking at me like that? What do you want? Someone keeps shaking the damn table oh, and me. I'm hearing it on all these <laughs> microphones. I have restless leg syndrome, buddy. <laughs> Steve, what, what have you had? You had the same things as me except for one. Yeah, same thing for you except for I had the Opportunist, which is a a Belgian dark ale, 7.6 ABV. It's very, very good. If, if you like Belgians, this is definitely a beer for you. I, I did. I was looking at that, and it interests me. Does it does it remind you of uh, Three Philosophers? That's the first thing I thought of. A that's little a, that's bit, a yeah. quad, but I feel like it's a pretty darker Belgian. Yeah, it's very bar- dark. Okay, Marty, what do you got? What do you got? I'm more of a traditionalist. Right I went with the uh, 12th Street Lager to get, uh, get started, which was which was banging, and then uh, the Daily Grind, which is a uh, supposed to be a stout. Uh, that I'm having here, so both of them that's, fantastic. That's the milk, the coffee milk style, yeah, it's right? Been awesome. I had a sip good of little that. afternoon right? wake me up. Yeah, a little afternoon wake me up. Corey, you got a you got a sweet little red boy there. Yeah, I I, I have the, the uh, making friends. Okay, and it's really it's really See, good. We're, all, we're like, all here making friends. Why don't we cheers, everybody? Cheers, cheers to making cheers. friends. They gave me the menu, and the first thing I saw was cherry lime sour. I'm like, let me just start with this, and uh, we'll work our way from there. They're so really trying good. to start things off on a positive note. The sun's starting to come out. It's yeah. been raining all day, but sun's coming out. Sixers coming off a loss, but had won four in a row yep. before that. And tonight the Lakers are in town. One of the hottest tickets of the season, if not the hottest ticket of the season. I'll be in the building. Marty will be in the building. So we're, we're basically spending the whole day together. It's kind of cute. But we, we still, we're still on a four-game winning streak if you don't include games outside of the U.S. So. Correct. It wasn't <laughs> just one way of, I'm just saying. It's one way to think about it. If it was the ABA, not the NBA, then we'd be fine. <laughs> but if we're talking about making friends and we're talking about the sun coming out, then I want to talk about Ben Simmons because all the negativity, all the things we say over and over again on this podcast – Right now, I'm just going to feed you a bunch of very, very nice things about Ben Simmons. I want to make sure that our guy is getting the credit that he deserves for the month that he's having. January has probably been the best complete month of Ben Simmons' career. I'm I'm pretty ready to say that at this point. We found out right around Monday's tip-off, if not early into the game, uh, the first person I saw from at least was Serena Winters reporting that Ben Simmons was the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. For January 13th to the 19th, 
over that span, he averaged 21.3 points, 9.5 rebounds, and 7.3 assists. And then Monday, me and Steve were watching from uh, Parks before we went and hung out at Design Tree, and Ben goes ahead and puts up 34, 12, and 12 with five steals and two blocks and shot 85.7% from the floor. Absolutely dominant in a game where we're looking at it and everyone's joking, but... You know, we find out that Kyrie Irving is going to play when we're not sure, and we're like, "crap!" Like we actually yeah. think that <laughs> that uh, that we'd be better off. But it seems like one of those games you have to play three o'clock on a Monday. They had won three in a row going in. It just feels like a trap. Feels like a trap. And and it was close for a while. And it was one of the few times that in the second half, it didn't seem like Ben faded. It seemed like Ben was basically the 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 factor in like not letting us lose that game. Not only does the stat line speak for it, but him and Matisse's defense in the second half of that fourth quarter was absolutely magnificent. And we're going to talk about Matisse later, but I, I want to get to a couple more Ben stats before we really dive in here. From our friend Jimmy McCormick from ESPN on Twitter, at underscore Jimmy McCormick, no other player in NBA history on record dating back to 1983 ever put up 34, 12, 12, and 5 steals. Ever. We're talking about historic achievements here. Our friend at Jake on Sixers looked up on Basketball Reference, and as of the game's Monday, their game score metric, Ben had the ninth best game of the entire NBA season on Monday. Ninth best game of the entire season of any player. And that list is pretty much just James Harden, like a two or three Anthony Davis games. Like Dame Lillard has a couple. Like You see the same names on there. We're talking about you know, a handful of players that can absolutely just by themselves take over a game, and people are still talking about trading this guy out of town. He's he's in there of these of these few people that when they are on like this, and and we have had the conversations about you know a lot of times we just don't see it for a whole game, but Jesus Christ, what what he did in this one, you he he did not get enough credit. Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. Ben was 10 of 14 from the line. The most trips to the line he took this season, only the fourth time he had double-digit attempts. So obviously we want him to get there. Everyone talks about the percentage, 10 of 14. We'll absolutely take it. And then the last one I have from Tom West at Tom West NBA. From January 3rd until the Nets game, Ben averaged 21.7 points, 62% from the field, 10.2 rebounds, 8.2 assists, only 2.1 turnovers, while also grabbing 2.1 steals and .8 blocks and playing first-team all-defense-level defense. That's my rant about Ben Simmons. I'm happy to discuss whatever the hell else you guys want to talk about, but please stop disrespecting my guy because the run that he is on is absolutely incredible, and the talks about, you know, somebody's got to go on this team, it ain't Ben Simmons, and it also isn't Joel Embiid. Yeah, it's crazy. Who else in the history of sports, let alone basketball, puts up these types of numbers and people are like, nah, we got to trade them. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I love Ben to death, and I know we'll um, you know, talk about the, the loss, but I've never seen, you know, especially going on Twitter, or people flip-flop from when Ben has this game, people say, well, now we need to tr- uh, trade Joel Embiid. And then when we lose the next game, we're like, yep, now you see why we definitely do need Embiid. And, you know, are they the perfect players to complement one another? No, but when you have, you know, players of this type of talent, like, you got to make it work and figure it out. 
Yeah, I think the thing with Simmons is that it's all about context. So he was the number one pick in the draft. You know, if he goes fourth or fifth, I don't think people like even care about the the shooting stuff. Um, him getting to the line recently is is super encouraging. I think the game in Brooklyn, he's had other really good overall games, but you could feel he like took over that game. Like, I'm not comparing him to Jordan, but if you guys grew up, remember like the way Michael Jordan. Like, there'd be games where like, yeah, the Bulls don't really look like they're gonna do it tonight, and Jordan was just like, nah, we're gonna win this game. Yep, and he would get to the line mm-hmm. 12 times. He, you know, he'd play great defense and just wouldn't allow his team to lose. And um, I don't know in today's day and age of, like, the NBA if you really truly can do that for um, every game, game in and game out. The hope is in the playoffs you can. Um, but I think he just chose that game. as like, I think we can win this game, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it. It was good to see. It was good to see. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there's, there's always going to be talk about him and Embiid. But it's, it's just crazy that there's this, like, every single time one of them plays and has a dominant game, it becomes an ultimatum on the other one. It's it just it sucks. And it's just it's like it, it's part of what brings it down, like, talking about this team. I was, you know, arguing with people or talking with people on Twitter kind of, like, on the way down here. And it's like, you know, somebody called this season, like, mediocre. It's like, it's definitely not mediocre. It's been frustrating. But, like, the team's still so good. Like, the team's playing a primetime game tonight against the Lakers, LeBron James and the Lakers. What was it, four years ago we had ten wins? So it's like, you know, we should be grateful for, like, what what we have, you know, and, and still want more. That's okay. Like, it's not mutually exclusive to be like, Yeah, the hey, expectations I, haven't yeah, changed. You can say, like, we still want to win a championship, but, like, let's take a step back today and be like, okay, the sun's out. You know, we, we, we're having great beers. We're talking about a team that's relevant, like, too relevant, really. Like, hey, maybe the ringer, like, calm down. Like, there's other teams to talk about. Oh. Like, it's just, it's awesome. And I think we all just need to take a step back and just chill a little bit out. Yeah, I agree. And you know, one other thing I couldn't help but notice, it's funny how people change their stance so quick when they want to argue against something. You know, Ben Simmons has how many triple doubles, and people are like, well, he can't shoot, so it doesn't matter. But, but then Kawhi last night has his first career triple double, and people are like, oh, my God, isn't that incredible? That's great. It's like you're the same people who are hating on Ben Simmons saying a triple-double's not good enough. Now, granted, Kawhi's won a couple of titles, so he does get a little bit pissed, but people only want to make certain arguments again against Ben Simmons when it's convenient for their agenda or for the sake of just hating Ben. Well, right, you know, Wednesday night, Zion makes his debut, and I'm not trying to knock Zion at all because I'm, I'm rooting for the guy, and I'm a fan of his, if, if we're being honest here, but Zion hits four threes and a loss. And people are, are praising him Ugh. up and down. Well, but then also people are calling him, like, fat. So it's, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you go number one in the draft, you have, like, these sort of, like, unfair expectations of you. You know, Ben's in his third season, fourth, you know, of coming into the NBA, third really playing. You know, I just think we need to keep things in perspective. Like, he, he is showing growth. Early in the season, it was looking a little bit like, well, For he sure. worked hard all summer. What am I really seeing? Last few games, especially with Embiid being out, you know, we, we have seen that growth defensively, no doubt about it. He's backed up what he said in the preseason about being, you know, wanting to be a defensive player of the year. He probably won't be, but, you know, that's kind of the nature of how that vote goes. But he'll be, uh, he'll be top five. The thing with Ben, talking about, like, disrespect, like, the disrespect is coming from fans. You know, I'm not really an all-star guy. I don't. I really don't care about the all-star game. I haven't watched the all-star game in probably a decade. Crosses the all-star game off the rundown. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I'm saying, like, have you seen the number? Like, dude, he's way down yeah, the we're list talk in about All-Stars. Yeah. 
So, you know, it's interesting the way that, like, fans view him versus media versus coaches. It's going to be interesting. I assume he'll get in. I'd be really surprised if he didn't. But it's just interesting to me how low, because he has an exciting game, you know. And the fact that Trey Young is a starter to me, don't get me started, like, that is (laughs) absurd. And I don't have beef with the guy, like, obviously on a personal level, but, like, I'm just not a fan. I just think he'd, like... You don't have a personal relationship with Trey Young? No, no, me and him, like, aren't aren't that tight, but... uh, but yeah, I just like I'm, I'm, there's nothing wrong with him. Like I don't hate the guy or anything, but like I'm not trying to be like a hater. I just your I think face is otherwise, man. I, <laughs> I think it's crazy. Go off, Ken. Yeah. I think it's crazy that he's in the All Star game at all, and especially a starter, and well, not t- even over Ben, but just in general. <laughs> and one other thing too, if I was just like a casual NBA fan, I'd be more worried about Zion's knees than I am Ben Simmons' jump shot, dude. Like, yeah, Zion's like he a little too thick. I think that he's. Thick. I don't know, man. He's a big boy. Yeah. Play him at five, surround him with shooters. Sounds I haven't familiar. heard that one before. <laughs> Got to split him and Brandon Ingram up, right? That's, is, that how, is that the trope? <laughs> so, Steve, you alluded to it. We, we do have to talk about the Toronto game and to, to come back to Ben Simmons and, and kind of bring, you know, the, the praise level down a little bit. I'm curious if you guys, what you chalk this up to. I have my own thoughts. But against Toronto, he puts up 17, 10, and 8, which is a great line, but – he only takes seven shots. He goes five of seven from the field, seven of nine from the line, which, again, you know, nine free throw attempts is great for him. Seven of nine is, is, a, is a great percentage for him. He did have the eight turnovers. He finishes a negative 14 in a game where they led for, I think, the entire first half or, or almost all of it. I think it kind of seesawed toward the end. And then in the third half, again, they hung in there. We saw it start to slip away in the fourth quarter. It was just an abomination. Is this just the same thing we've been seeing Ben Simmons, great first half, not putting his foot on the gas in the second half? Or do you think this is something that maybe you chalk up to, well, Josh Richardson gets hurt three minutes in, and, and the whole thing kind of killed the rotations, the vibe, the Tor- chemistry. Toronto's actually good. Well, that too. Yeah. Toronto's a great team defense. We haven't won in Toronto in the regular season, what is it, 15 games? 15 games yeah. now, yeah. I, it wasn't one that I was, like, particularly upset about. I mean, I wasn't, you know, it, it, and, and not to jump ahead to the Lakers game, but it feels like with being down Josh and, um, and Embiid, I mean, this, this is going to be a slog for these next nine games. So, to me, I thought Ben played well. I, you know, there was, I didn't really have, you know, could he have taken over again, I, I guess. But I don't know if in a regular season you can bring that effort every single game. You know, um, the crowd was, you know, hype in, in Toronto. Was that an ESPN game? I, I think, think it, it was, was right. It was. Yeah. You know, so it was, a, it was a big game, and I, you know, again, I just didn't walk away from that game with like a strong, hot Ben Simmons take, or even a, a Sixers take. It was like, man, we were undermanned, and we kind of hung in there. I, I was actually pretty encouraged, to be it's, honest. It's pretty interesting because, uh, like the the diehard Sixers fans, that loss just didn't bother them at all. And I think Ben having an off night following that Nets game is, you know. It's just what happens in the NBA, and you couple that with. Well, would you call it an all? I mean, that that like I want to talk about the game, but I just wanted to ask you guys about Ben's performance first. If you look at it as you're fine with it, and there were plenty of other issues to go on, or if you think you know after that performance, now we're seeing what we were complaining about for games before. I mean, seventeen, ten, and eight is is pretty much is about what he averages. So, right. do you call that off, or did your expectations change after seeing what he did Monday? I think for some people that would have been the case, whereas I you know, I know how the three of us are at least. We're pretty rational. We try not to get caught up in things like that. We can sit we can leave Monday's game and say, Well, yeah, this isn't happening every time, right. but it sure was that's great not to see. That's not who Ben is and he played like against Toronto is kind of who Ben is. 
you know, and then he'll have bad games. And, like, that's not who Ben is either. The Toronto game is more of, like, who Ben is. But the, what you saw in the Brooklyn game is, like, the upside of what Ben Simmons could be. And he's, he's hopefully getting there. And, and we should continue to see glimpses of that. But you're not, just, you're not going to see that game in and game out, especially when Embiid comes back and Josh comes back because there's just, you know, you have to feed everybody. Yeah, Marty, and you mentioned it earlier, too. I, I, and part of me didn't want to mention this, but Toronto's just good, man. They're I mean, good. They're, they're good. And I think I know Dan and myself, we, we thought going before the season that they would definitely have that drop off without Kawhi. But that team just knows how to play defense, man. Everyone's on the same page. And when you have, you know, Shake Milton out there. I, I mean, that's just – it's going to be tough to win those kind of games. Yeah, my biggest takeaway – it's funny because, you know, we're not the type of podcast where we read you the box score or anything like that, and we normally try to sway people to not pay so much attention to that all the time because there are people that will just sit on Twitter and try to make arguments and didn't even watch the game. They're just reading the stats and trying yeah. to decipher it. But for what it's worth, I actually saved the box score to this one because I just thought in general, if you go and look at it, I don't want to read everything, but if you look down the line, the numbers are so similar that I think if you just looked at this and tried to figure out what happened in this game, you would say that either team could have won, and it should have been very close. And the only thing that there's a huge discrepancy in, which is going to really upset the maybe they're better without Joel Embiid crowd, is Toronto had 52 points in the paint to our 18. So please stop saying we're better without Joel Embiid. Are there people so, actually saying that? Like, I mean, I don't know that? if they're real people. You know they might be bots. They think... might be a bunch of, like, Trey Young season and Trey <laughs> Young world Twitter accounts, maybe. If you say, like, to me, if you say that, and I, I'm, I'm not, like, part of the cancel culture, but, like, you're just you're, – anything you say thereafter means nothing to me. Like, if you think that the Sixers are legitimately better without Embiid – it's just a, such an absurdity that I wouldn't like. I would just like m- probably mute you or just like not pay attention to anything you say if you're on national TV or anything. You're, you're to me, you're irrelevant because my, it makes no sense. My feeling is just these people are in the minority. It's just the noise that they make is louder than anything it's else, exactly and that's right. what you sure, know, triggers Sixers Twitter. That's you know, I, I I think the bulk of Sixers fans don't want you know either Ben or MB traded. I just think. People just, you know, want to be trolls, and I think it's just the noise they create. It's just what gets everyone going. So one of the other things that I I heard a lot more stirring during and after the Toronto game, which has now been evident ever since the, I believe it was the Indiana game, where he got a, a DNP, coach's decision, but where's James Ennis and what is happening? He has played less than six minutes the past two games. He had the do not play against Indiana, and then since then... Five games since he played 15 minutes, 11, 11, 4, and 5. What's going on his, there? Well, his shooting's down, but it's funny because it's like one of those things where we always, or you know, Sixers fans a lot of times complain about Brett Brown not playing the young guys. And here he is playing Furkan and Matisse, you know, big minutes. Somebody's going to suffer, you know, and I think we're also seeing him being more willing to play a guard next to Simmons. So it's been Neto recently, and I think most of us that have been paying attention see that what Brown's been doing is like a three- to four-game rotation where he lets Burke kind of get into the rhythm, play for a few games, then Neto comes and takes it. To me, both those guys are so close, kind of talent overall talent-wise. They have different games, but for sure. I, I think that's actually a good thing. So somebody's going to suffer. You know, I think he hasn't tried to punish Mike Scott too much for, for his off-shooting. So I think it's just kind of the nature of, of the way the rotation has gone. People are saying – 
um, and it's like must have done something to be in his doghouse. I don't know that that's a hundred percent true. I think that Furkan's giving you something specific, shooting. Matisse is giving you something specific, defense. Ennis is really like kind of that replacement level, you know, competent backup guy. So he's not coming in and doing anything besides like elite effort. So I think that that's I think that's part of why I think now's the time to give guys like Ennis or I'm sorry to give guys like Matisse and um, Furkan big minutes, knowing you have Ennis kind of in your back pocket for the playoffs. If those guys you know f- fold and crumble and can't handle kind of the heat, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I, I know I have Ennis crack. You know what are they like break in case of emergency kind of guy. So I, I'm actually not reading too much into it. I think it's I actually think it's great that they're playing Furkan and Matisse as much as they are. I'm not overreacting to it. It's something to keep an eye on, but I, I don't think it's as like big of a deal as maybe some people f- think it is. I'm glad you brought up Brett because I think that this is one of the things that I've been saying for a little bit now that I don't think he gets credit for that I do really enjoy. And it, it is evidence of him adapting and changing some of the things that he's been criticized for, for people thinking that he's too stubborn to adapt. Is The Trey Burke and, and Howell Neto thing is interesting because I think it's, it makes a lot of sense to me to – give these guys, like, 10-game stretches and not, like, choose each night. Like, okay, well, let's see how this guy can go. It's hard for for players to do that, and I think it's good to get them in a rhythm, give them a chance to get to, like, their peak point, and then look at that and determine, okay, like, now he's in rhythm. Now now he has momentum. This is what it should look like if he gets to continually play. What do I think of this? And then, you know, give give the next guy the understanding, like, hey, you're about to miss, like, a slow game's barring – some kind of injury or whatever, but stay ready and do everything. And to Trey Burke's credit too, right now with Neto getting the playing time, I've, I've seen a couple of things and, and people have talked to him that like, you know, he seems to under like it seems to be communicated. I, like, I, I he knows that's were, the case. If I were on the bench, that would be my preferred thing. Rather than like, for you're sure. playing this game, you're playing this game. Exactly. So it'd be like, listen, let me just play three or four in a row. Let me get my rhythm. Let me get my sweat. And then cool, I'll sit down for a week. Let Howell get his time, and like eventually, I th- I would be shocked if one of them's not included in whatever trade, whatever right. the Sixers make. Exactly. So they're gonna pick one, send one. So you know that's just the way it's gonna go. If I'm Trey Burke too, like dude, you got an unguaranteed contract, basically. Like you know, I, I think that's the perspective he probably has. Maybe not his dad, but I'm yeah. sure he's like, listen, man, <laughs> I'm just glad to get a million and a half this year. You know, I, I just hope after Brett's time coaching the Sixers, we get a tell-all interview or even a book because sometimes. The this is like if anything my biggest thing with Brett Brown is sometimes, he, like we said, players in a doghouse are just you kind of forget he's on the team. I know there's an argument well you gotta let the young players guy or you gotta let a guy you know shoot out of a slump, but sometimes it's just the rationale doesn't always make sense to me. And I, I talked about this on the last episode. Everyone was hype on Trey Burke for those one or two weeks before he got that guaranteed contract. And now he's nowhere to be found, so it's kind of like, okay, what's the point? And I know people say, oh, we want to audition other players for possible trades, which I think is bullshit. Like that, 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 that's, You're allowed to curse on this you, podcast, yeah, I think. Like you know Thank that, you, you know, that, that, that's not you know, so much the case. But beginning of the year, uh, everyone was so hype on Kyle O'Quinn. People were happy, like, hey, we finally got a backup center. Now everyone hates Kyle O'Quinn, yeah, and he, he, has, he was, only plays wrong. in garbage was, time. Was, and, and, and he's definitely in Brett's doghouse. Like, that's absolutely. when you can look at yeah. him and go, like, yeah, or, Brett does not like playing him. Or like you said earlier, James Ennis. Like, people already forgot, like, the first month, month and a half before he got injured, he was fantastic coming off the bench. He was our best bench player before uh, Matisse, you know, really found found his, you know, footing on the team. And and. And Cork Moss. And Cork Moss. So, and it does seem, I, I think, you know, to what you said earlier, 
earlier about giving some guys run for five or ten games. My only, uh, you know, argument to that is, well, then when the next guy's up and it's his time for the run, like, it does seem to take, like, a couple of games for them to, you know, for get sure. back playing. And maybe and, that's why he's trying to give Ennis, like, a little bit of time to kind of keep him engaged so it's right. not like – because at some point we're going to see Ennis again. He's got a no-trade clause. He's not getting moved. He's going to be here, and he's going to play in the playoffs. I'd be pretty surprised if yeah. he doesn't. Well, I, well, I, listen, I, well, listen, listen. I, I don't. We're going to. We're spending a lot of time on this, and I think there's a lot of other things we want to talk about. You both make really good points, and the only thing that that seems weird to me is in a game where Josh Richardson is hurt in three minutes, right. and it's only plays five. Correct. That's yeah. the one that yeah. really stands yeah. out to me. You're right. As weird. So yeah. now I think now it's time to watch it, right? Because with with Josh being down, you would think. Now he should fill and to, some amount of And especially weight. tonight, Correct. considering they're playing the Lakers, who have a ton of like forward-sized yeah. guys, wings, big wings, you're yeah. going to need Ennis out there to hang, yeah, hang so with we'll them in the tonight. second unit. So I would expect to see him get at least 15 to 20 minutes yeah. tonight. Agreed. And if not, then I think maybe we make yeah, a— And the question is real. You know, what's, is he in the doghouse too? And the only thing—the funny thing about Kyle O'Quinn, to, to spend like one minute on it, because you both are exactly right— we were also hyped on him because we've seen him succeed in other places, but like I was dead wrong, and and I I, I didn't really see anybody. It, it, the way the Sixers used their center, it should have been obvious that a guy who's six nine and isn't known for being a rim protector was not really going to work. And I really don't know how it seemed so many of us missed it, myself included. I'm not killing anybody, but man, like if you looked at uh, O'Quinn's assist numbers, and shout out to Jimmy McCormick, he and I talked about O'Quinn a lot. It seemed like a guy that you could maybe run like a second unit offense through a little bit. Um, who, who could step out. I think early on we saw him shoot a couple, like, long threes yeah. and jumpers, and we are like, okay. And, and I've brought this up before. Like, to me, the, the center you want with Ben isn't about what they bring defensively. It's what they bring offensively. So I thought O'Quinn could kind of do that, but he's fallen so far off even offensively as, as being an impact player. And then defensively he's just got, like, cement shoes. He just can't Yeah, move. there's nothing there. Um, and, he, and you're right, he's not enough of a rim protector. So you're really not getting anything good with O'Quinn. And so I get the doghouse with him. So, yeah, so do I. Uh, it's a shame, though, because, like, I think he's a good guy. I think the lo- he's a good locker room guy. I think they all like him. And he's trying to make the best of it. But, like, it, I, I don't see any situation where he really comes out of that here. Um, unless some kind of ridiculous trade happens that involves that changes that rotation, which I don't expect them to. We we talked about Furkan Korkmaz a little bit, or more so probably I did, which is usually how it goes. You guys have been yeah, you guys have been taking your uh, uh, championship uh, parade, your rounds, huh? So no, you're right though. I mean, I mean, Furkan's he's a legit NBA player. He's right? 19 so. of 30 from three in the past five games. That's 50 percent. Overall, in those five games, he's a plus 18, and he has double-digit points in all five games. And that, that's all I have on him. But I want to tie this to a tweet that you had today at MW Teller on Twitter where you listed all the players and their trade availability with only an eyeball emoji next to Furcon. So where do you stand on him as far as a trade is? Because yeah. I, I don't see how you can move him. So here's the reason I did that. Here's the reason I said that. So... Furkan's 22. He's younger than Matisse. I think people forget that. And so there's room for improvement with him. I think he's going to grow to EV even and a bigger a team player. option for $2 million Exa- next year? Unguaranteed after, like, basically free agency starts. So there's a lot of value with him. And so the reason I, you know, I don't, I don't want to trade Furkan. Let's make sure, like, let's get that on the record. But what happens if for all of a sudden a team, like, we're in this Bogdan conversation with the Kings and, you know, there's, like, Z- Zaire's on the table and maybe, you know, like a Mike Scott – and they go, hey, tell you what, put Furkan in the deal, and you've got it. I don't know. Like, are you not going to do that deal to get Bogdan because you don't 
want to trade Furkan. Like that's a real conversation, but that could be that could be a piece to some teams. Like we've talked about the Spurs. We know they don't really make deals, but like if you wanted a Derek White, if you wanted somebody like that, you could see why Furkan would be a guy they'd be like, hey, he's interesting to us. He's signed for next year. He's dirt cheap. Like let's take a look at him. So my only thinking is there's some value to him, and is there enough value to where you would make a deal um, and include him as some sort of like centerpiece? I do agree with you. There's there's a lot of value in just that his per, you know his product production versus you know his contract and that that could be a trade sweetener, man. That's and that's right. what sucks. Like I, I think I, he has real value. Yeah, so like, and, and and that that dude like if if we trade deadline comes and goes and no trades happen, maybe it's because there was an offer on a table, but the other team says give us Furcon and the deal's done, and maybe they don't do it. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's insane to think about. He was literally the last guy they signed. Um, kudos, you know, I, I especially like to hate on the Sixers front office, but kudos on that contract. Absolutely. Getting that second year, yeah. mm-hmm. getting it to be a team option, they getting got it to one be right. unguaranteed. <laughs> like, they got that one right. Um, I don't want to trade him, but, but my, the reason I sort of gave the eyeballs emoji is I could see a team asking about him. A smart team will ask about sure. uh, Mich- Michik from the, the Kings are also not a smart team. R- so. True. So, <laughs> That's so, true. So it'll be interesting first. to see, like, six months later after the Sixers basically sign him as an afterthought, do they all of a sudden say, like, he's untouchable? I, I'd be surprised if they Sure. Yeah, I don't think he's untouchable. I, I know even on on this mountain I'm living on right now in this shiny Furkan castle that I'm in, that Bogdanovich is is a better player overall. The thing is, but there's contract like there's, right. there's other things to consider. Yeah. You're re- are you potentially renting him? And and right. if we're we want to win this year, but we know we have right now, hopefully like a at least a two to three year title window. You could you know convince we, me you could stretch we, that. Do out. we have a two to three year? All right, that's a whole other conversation. Leave and, leave me with that right now. Okay. So I can, so I can just finish the thought that that Furgon contract next year is so important so for it next year just because it might of be, the value. It might be better. It might be more valuable to us than other teams. That could also yes, be the it case. definitely is. So, so hopefully, like, I, I want to see him here. I want to see the Sixers make one or two kind of peripheral deals. We've talked about them before. I'm on record as saying, like, if it were me, it'd be Alec Burks. It'd be Reggie Bullock. It'd be like, let's get a ball handler and a guy that can create and get to the foul line and shoot some threes. And then a shooter like Reggie Bullock who can at least do that. And so, to me, like that, without you know having to trade Zaire, without having to move Mike right. Scott potentially. It, so is Bogdanovich, uh, Burks, and Bullock? Are they like your one, two, three right now? Yeah, Bogdanovich and is how the would guy I would them? like go all in on if I know two things: one, that I'm going to move Horford, or if I move Horford in that deal, because there's been some rumors about the Kings maybe being. I, I can't see Elton Brand trading. His friend, I, it just seems yeah. like it would be such a bad look for the Sixers to take Al Horford and then trade him to the Kings. There's been a couple of things. I know you have Al here on the on the rundown. If you want to talk about Horford a little bit, like yeah. they're going to have to make a decision about Al, most likely in the off season. But I do wonder when you heard the Gallinari trade proposals. That's got to be Horford, right? Like, right. who else yeah. are you putting and, in that? And, and dude, offer? if I th- and I love that for the record. I, yeah, I would do that I in a heartbeat. Do it in a heartbeat. But here's my thing: if we I can't trade, see why OKC does that? No, if, me neither. If we trade Horford, you know, bef- before on a deadline, dude, no one's going to want to sign here for yeah. that kind of money and years. Like, uh, I, don't I, don't know. Know. I don't know, man. I, don't I think, know, man. feel you like that get, sets a bad precedent. We say that all the but, time, but, and it never really holds up. But that's my point about the Kings. If you send him to OKC, that's his old college coach. He's going to play with CP3, assuming they're not moving CP3, which I don't it think doesn't they are. doesn't sound like it. They're having a good – like, 
to me, an Oklahoma City situation is not, yeah, okay, you're maybe a little disappointed. You thought you were competing for a championship coming right down the East Coast. But to me, that's not like, here, you're on the Kings now. To yeah. me, like, you're on the Kings now is like... Yeah, know. but, dude, like, we had that one summer where everyone wanted LeBron and Kawhi. We didn't sign anyone. We didn't sign anyone the year after that. So, it's just like... But that's because that, we were focused on these max guys. And part of me oh, thinks yeah. that that's why they signed Horford. Because instead of signing three guys to really good deals that we'd be like, hey, we got Danny Green and we got this guy and this guy. and all, But, but kind of the casual fan base would be like, oh, we thought we were getting a max guy. They yeah. were like, we have to save face. We got to sign a max guy. And I get it. They wanted to have a good backup for Embiid, and they wanted to hurt the Celtics. So I understand why Brand did it. My thing is that if, if there's a chance to move him, they should think about it. Yeah. And, and I want to give a shout-out to, to a guy I follow on Twitter, uh, Chris Lewis Tweets. I don't know if you guys follow him at all, but really great, great follow. He's, he's convinced that there's some smoke with this OKC thing. So Gallinari, if you think about it, was with the Clippers last year. We had a lot of conversations with the Clippers, obviously, about Tobias. So I'm sure Gallinari was a, a subject of conversation. Sure. At least. You know, you've got the connection with uh, Billy Donovan there in Oklahoma City. So I think there could be something there. Al's a contract that all of a sudden now, in one or two years, Oklahoma City, with all those picks, is going to be looking for a Beal or somebody to add to SGA. Now they would have, like, potentially these big expiring deals of, like, Al and CP3. Now that they can – and they can package them with those picks to a team like the Wizards or somebody for, like, a guy like Beal. So it's just interesting. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, I tried to preach patience with Horford for a while, and I still think that especially – we've teased here and there, but there still is a very real reality to, you know, where is Giannis going to end up going forward – but we know this season he's on a juggernaut that you are going to have to go through if you want to win. And that has basically been one of the only defenses to keeping Horford is I still think in that matchup that's where his value so, peaks. So that's, your, so that's the question. If the Sixers, let's say Oklahoma City, let's say there's some maybe like some seconds involved, but essentially you can get Gallinari for Horford. Do you do that deal? Yes. I think I do. Okay. Yeah. But my only point is that I You think, might need Al. Against the Bucks. Well, right. And so I think the thought of maybe their thought is, okay, well, for this year we have to have him, and we figure it out in the offseason, like yep. you said. And to, to look at his numbers since Embiid went out, which has been eight full games, there's a lot of positive things you can still find, which is what's so frustrating about the conversation. And I'm not, like, even criticizing anybody for thinking that way because I'm, I'm trending that direction now. But just looking at it, even since then, he averages over five assists a game, over seven rebounds, and I think his defense has has been really good, especially in the clutch, in the games that have been close. I feel like he's been really, really good at the end of the game. You know, at this point in his career, can he play, you know, 30 minutes of elite defense? No, probably not, but he's doing it when it counts, and I think all of those are, are things to remember when you're just looking at him going forward and the fact that hopefully Embiid's coming back you know, maybe in the next week or so, which we'll talk about a little more. The only thing is the shooting. 43.5% from the field in in those eight games and only 25% from three. But it's like, this is a guy for most of his career that has shot pretty well, much better than that for sure. And what I, do you think it is? I just have to believe he can get it. I mean, guys go through slumps. And we've seen him have good shooting games. It's not like the shot's been broken the entire season. It's been up and down. But it has been there. So, like... 
something, I mean, one, obviously there's way more workload on him with Embiid out. So that's got to, we've all talked about him just needing a night off at some point and they can't afford it right now. Maybe once Embiid is back, you give him, you know, the James Ennis treatment where you wean the minutes off, you get him a, a DNP here or there. I mean, for him, there's never going to be a DNP. It's going to be like a out with some couple. kind of. He's in a couple. But they're, they're, out, they're out for an injury. They're yeah, not, de- right. you know, Ennis was a DNP coach's decision. Point is, it'll be it'll be the same thing where you get him that rest, and we know that they have a, a, a much easier schedule through the rest of the year. We're going to talk about you know the the next nine games, which are pretty tough, but overall their their strength of schedule gets much easier. Where so far, I don't know if it still is as of today, but I know at least as of like a week or two ago, they had played like the most difficult schedule in the league. So there are still positives you can find. In him, and I think that they still have have done so much to be a title contender this season that it seems really hard to believe that they then make a move that I think weakens them against the Bucks specifically. But you do also have to get there. We talk about how important a top four seed is, top three, top I'm, two. I'm, even dude, I'm, I, so I've divorced myself from that. I'm I'm going to try to enjoy the Sixers season for like performances like Ben had. Hopefully, when Joe comes back. Following the development. Wait, so you dismiss yourself from what? A title? From, from wor- no, 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 no. From worrying about seeding. Oh, okay. Because, and I was looking at the West as well. It's No one's really talking about it in the West, or maybe just because we're so focused here in Philly. Like, teams in both conferences are so bunched up. And so, yeah. like, we could end up being the sixth seed and be back of the two seed by, like, two games. Yeah. So, and, and while that's frustrating, I don't know how much control they re- – like, at this point, like, you could be frustrated, like, they haven't put themselves in a better position – They've got the easiest, one of the easiest schedules coming up. Maybe they can make a run, but like it's going to be so close. It could be a, literally a coin flip. It could be like, oh, they lost this game in February to Miami, and that's why they're the four instead of the three. So, like to me, I'm, I'm kind of stopped worrying about it because, yes, like they're a much better team at home than the road. But you get three games at home, right? Right. So my thing is like. Do we really not think they can win one game on the road and then hold serve at home? Like I think that's like well, a the road record thing. hasn't made. Well, great. Marty, it's funny you say this because the last time you were on one, we talked about the the league getting better as a whole, and we're clearly seeing that. And you just mentioned like it's bunched up in both conferences. And two, I was the one preaching to you that I still felt like in a seven game series against the same team that I liked this team against anybody else, and that I wasn't that worried about the seating. And I don't really feel like you were with me there. Have you turned the page turned, a little yeah, bit? No, I have. I have. Uh, I don't recall that conversation specifically, but but I am. Like I, to me, it's just like I just want to see the team play good ball and play. You know, a couple good games. We got to see a four game win streak. Get a, you know, a couple wins on the road. Saw a great performance from Ben. Al looked better. Furkan's been playing well. You know, I, I want to build up. Uh, you know, I think in sports there's been this thing like is momentum a real thing or not? My thing is like I just want to see guys healthy and playing well by the end of the season. You know, I don't – the the seeding thing is going to be like so matchup driven. Like, you know, we could be lucky. We could be unlucky. We can end up like the sixth seed but have a really favorable matchup where we go, wow, like we won in five games. Like that's crazy. We could end up with the fourth seed and end up with the Raptors and like it go to seven again. So I just feel like I, I'm not going to overly concern myself with the, with – necessarily where the seating is because I can't control what those other teams do. I just want to see the team play better. I want to see them make some shrewd moves and get the right guys in place and be ready when the postseason starts and then see what happens. Well, Marty said he just wants to see everybody healthy, playing good. We're going to talk about the health of, of some of the bigger names on the team after our interview with John from 3-3's Brewing coming to you right now. So here you go. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? 
Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. All right, so we're hanging out here at Three Threes. We are joined by John from Three Threes Brewing. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, you can find Three Threes on Instagram, three spelled out, the number three, S Brewing on Instagram, and then on Twitter, same thing, three, the number three, S Brew on Twitter. Their fourth anniversary is February 1st, which will be one week from the airing of this episode once we get it up later. But we're going to start more at the beginning. So, John, Three Threes, a lot of times when we go to breweries, it's like, oh, it's the name of the town, or it's something pretty obvious. We haven't been able to figure out really where Three Threes came from. So can you explain what's behind the name? One of the more interesting ones we've seen. Yeah, so um, actually the building that we're in right now used to be address 333 Washington Street um, for the prior businesses. Once uh, opened as a brewery, the front door was put out on 13th Street here. here. So the address had to change. So um, the original owners... uh, decided to use a little bit of the building history when naming the business and named it after that original address. But it's not even 333 anymore now. It's not anymore. <laughs> it was, The building was. Got it. Okay, that's pretty so interesting. It's like keep a little history for the building we're in. There you go. So as far as the history of the brewery, um, what would you say is either like, you know, the flagship beer of 33s or like what's the first one that when they started the idea, they were like, oh, man, like this is actually good. We have a hit here. We can work with this. So uh, last year at the 2019 Atlantic City Beer Musical Festival, we entered our Back to Reality IPA into the hazy New England uh, IPA competition, and we came in first place. Uh-oh. So we, that, uh, that's like our number one category. Yeah, so take, taking a win in that category is kind of a big deal. So we, uh, we made the decision uh, going back in November to make the Back to Reality our first uh, flagship beer, IPA. Uh, prior to that, we just were extraordinarily uh, a rotational brewery. We, it was what's new, what's different. We probably had almost, oh God, like 25 different IPAs were rotating monthly. Wow. wow and uh, <laughs> yeah, and we've really, we decided, you know what, let's get this one brand always available. And we kind of cut back on some of the ones that kind of moved a little slower or people weren't as excited over. And everybody seems to be loving the back to reality. Um, IPA. All right. We have a lot of things we can take from that. One, is that the one that has the Back to the Future artwork? So that's one of two, technically. So Back to Reality and Escape from Reality are the single and double versions of the same of, of Damn, a similar uh, beer. Okay. They both have the, uh, the DeLorean on the can artwork. The Back to Reality has the front, and the Escape from Reality has the back. And we uh-huh. actually, it's funny, we actually both brewed and canned the Escape from Reality before we made Back to Reality. And... They actually had plans to can the Escape from Reality before Back to Reality even won the award. So once it won the award, we're like, well, now we have to make the, the single version more often. Well, I mean, you have to escape reality before you can go back. You, exactly. can't, go, right, yeah. you can't go back until makes you sense. escape. So exactly. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, friend, friend of the podcast, Paul Brown, who did our website and a lot of our social, uh, he actually, I saw the can art from him yesterday because he's the biggest Back to the Future fan in the world and also is uh has worked ac beer fest for a a lot of the past years and he was like this is the greatest can like canned beer art i've ever seen and i was like oh conveniently we're going to be there tomorrow so definitely wanted to talk about that um hazy new england style ipas i i think between the three of us is probably the most consensus like 
you know, agreed oh, yeah. upon beer between us and usually is up there for us. So big fans of that. I'm definitely going to have to grab some of that before we leave. Oh, I was going to agree. I need to get a four-pack of that before we walk out of this place. Always <laughs> um, available. <laughs> uh, leaning into that, so you mentioned AC Beer Fest, which we're, like, kind of still – I still don't know if we have the word that we're able to, like, officially announce that we're there, but, like, we're there and we've kind of been telling people. I think people, you just so. did. Yeah. Well, we, we, we've been doing it on a lot we're of things. Officially, but officially. We, we've only been putting it in deep into content that people would really have to go find. Um, so this is going to be our first year there as a podcast, but me awesome. and Corey here have, have, I think this is our sixth year that we were going to, like, we had tickets before we even, you know, found out that we would actually be able to podcast from there. Uh, what, what is your reaction? You guys are actually like not too far from AC, I guess probably about 25 Depends minutes or so. Depends on traffic and if, you know, which way you go. Sure. Expressway or white horse pike. So AC beer fest specifically, but I was going to ask about like beer fest in general, but especially AC beer fest for you guys. Do you find that? you know, going to something like that with your brand that you get a lot of, you know, positive feedback. And also like, do you see it translate into the tap room here? Like people coming in and being like, yeah, like went to AC beer fest and you know, you guys were pointing this and really stood out how to come back again all the time. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I see people come in with those little uh, handbooks, uh, oh, yeah. the, the passport and they're looking for their stamps. Uh, people say, Hey, I had your beer at what was such and such festival. And I had to come and I, I loved it so much. I had to come, um, whether we're also in uh, distribute into Eastern Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia market. And we get people coming in from Philadelphia all the time and say, Hey, I had your, your beer at such and such bar and I loved it. And I wanted to see what else you have. And then they leave here, you know, loving again and wanting to come back. So the, the festivals certainly help our, uh, our brand and our tap room grow. That's really awesome. Cause I've always wondered, do, do they really help, you know, promotion, getting people in through the door? Cause sometimes you can think, well, it's just a reason for people to show up to drink a you know, whole bunch of beers and right. get wasted. And, you know, are they going to remember that experience, especially when you're tasting 10, 20 different beers, yeah. but to hear that, that actually translating a success. That's that's really awesome. Yeah, it depends on the festival. Like some festivals are just run a lot better than others. Uh, I've I've personally noticed that any festival put on by Good Time Tricycle, which are the guys who put on For Atlantic sure. City Beer Festival, yep. they are always the best, most most well run festivals, and that's the ones. And they're primarily South Jersey. A lot of South Jersey festivals. You know, you take an AC Beer Fest, uh, the Witchcraft Festival. That's in. Um, October, that one was really big as well. Yeah, they do the seafood and fest as well, which is a big festival, hit. Yeah. yeah. So we, we notice a lot of people come from those festivals after them. So I would say the better the festivals run, the more um, we'll see people come to our facility afterwards. Awesome. So you mentioned that you guys were like more of a rotational type of brewery. You mentioned like 25 or so IPAs often rotating. That's just IPAs. Right. <laughs> would, you, would you say based on that number that like the, an IPA kind of style would have been like the most uh, like brewed style you guys had? Like oh, you do have a good 100%. variety here. But. Um, so when we came in here, uh, we're, we're, the, we're actually the second owners and we'll, we're, this March will be our third year running three threes. Um, we came in here and they were... I think my first two months, all we brewed was IPAs. Mm. I didn't brew a damn a thing until we finally brewed our blueberry saison. Was the first non-IPA I brewed working here. Um, that's you know that's where the the craft market is. It has been, um, and we kind of when we signed on with our distributor hundred in, that was like almost all they wanted. You know, in the, you can get the seasonal a couple seasonal beers. You know, saison summer. Uh, stouts and porters in the fall, but it was primarily IPAs. 
And I think as we grow as a brewery, as the market um, morphs and changes, we're allow, uh, able to kind of build off of that. You know, you've got your, your brand, the, uh, the back to reality will always be there. And you hit your IPA numbers with that, and you're able to mix in a little bit more variety, which I personally love. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're definitely about the variety, so that's awesome to hear. So speaking of variety, we are in Hamilton. It's the blueberry capital of the world. It is. You mentioned a Saison already. I'm currently drinking the Break the Fast, which is a blueberry pancake-inspired porter. Yep. So being in this area, having you know so, some kind of access to that, do you find yourself doing a lot of blueberry-inspired styles as a result? So the Blueberry Saison is like our trademark summer seasonal. Um, we make a lot of that throughout the summer, especially this summer, now that we're kind of in the um, flagship style instead of just making whatever hasn't been made in a while uh we're going to be cranking out blueberry saison almost as much as back to reality this summer um which sucks for me because i'm the guy who has to puree and cook all the blueberries (laughs) (laughs) and that's not fun process i don't imagine so um and you have to mash them with your feet right no no no, nobody would drink the beer if i had to do that i think that's wine right that's simpsons yeah (laughs) that's where i get most of my information from so that's a reliable source they're always right they always did it first they always did everything simpsons did it now i do have to ask um being the blueberry capital of the world like the does that, you know, kind of uh, moniker, does it ever get, like, annoying or just old? You're like, oh, i got to brew another batch of blueberries. Why can't this town do something else? Or is that something <laughs> that, like, people from around here are actually proud of? And- people from here are actually very proud of the, the blueberry heritage. But I don't really feel that our hand is forced to make that too much. I think, you know, you, you do want to have a blueberry beer any chance you can. Obviously, it's got to be seasoned, right? Which is why we have the, the blueberry pancake porter for the, you know, winter time. Nice fixed um, porter to warm people up. And then we have the, the easy drinking summer uh, blueberry saison for the summer. Uh, we've done a couple of other like one-off varieties. I think we did a blueberry cobbler last summer, which is like graham crackers mm-hmm. and blueberries and a Blondale. Uh, we've done a couple of others, but we, we really can do whatever we want fruit-wise. It's not like, oh, why did you make something without blueberry? We, we, uh, we also have a blackberry saison, hibiscus saison. So we, we, we can kind of do whatever, but like you do... You being from you know, in Hamilton, you kind of do have to be like, all right, well, we're going to have to be conscious. We got to make something with a blueberry. And um, we, we love, you know, people love our blueberry saison. So, like, that's like the staple of the blueberry beers for us. I mean, it's got to be convenient to have a, a staple of your community that you can actually implement in yeah. what you do. Because, yeah, you know, growing up in like Runnymede, where it's like, hey, we have a giant stretch of the Black Horse Pike that no businesses ever last. It's like, well, what are you going to do with that? That was. Right pretty much to claim the fame so it's good yeah. there's something you can use I don't, I don't see how that would really be a problem not at all just just making those blueberries <laughs> so we mentioned your four-year anniversary is coming up in a week on february 1st before we actually touch on that i wanted to ask so we've only been doing this for just over a year the, the podcast specifically but we've been you know around craft beer for a while now a lot of the places that we have visited so far in our time doing this are in their first year, they're about to celebrate a one-year anniversary, a two-year anniversary. So coming up on four, now I know you, you had mentioned that, you know, you guys are coming up on your third year of owning it. But either way, you know, kind of being more veteran than a lot of the people that we speak to, what are some of the ways that you guys, you know, kind of like hang in, compete, like stay fresh in a market where so many breweries are, are sprouting up and a lot of times just 
being new can generate hype, can get people in the right. door, but then you have to sustain. So now not only do you guys have to sustain, you have to compete against all of them popping right. up. I think there's probably about 12 answers I can give you right here. <laughs> um, the first verse I'm going to say is when you have that staple um, flagship beer, people recognize that they know it. And you, you know, using the Back to the Future reference is something that pe- sticks with people's mind. Like, oh, For Back sure. to the Future beer. So I think that is a way to kind of keep yourself above is having a good beer, an award-winning beer that is easily recognizable. Um, on top of that, uh, my brother is a mad scientist. And if there's a stupid, crazy idea... He's very willing to find a way to make it work. Um, like today, we're, we're tapping cop juice, which is a jelly donut, you know, coffee porter, which you've got the sign right there. And it's I mean, delicious. Who, who, the, who the heck makes a jelly donut beer? We do. Um, it's just having the mindset of what's weird, how can we make it work? Not that stupid. It's how do we make that work? Um, Another br- awesome thing that we have that not a, a lot of the newer guys who don't, we were starting smaller, is we have a one-barrel pilot system, which really allows us to get crafty, get creative, um, and do some wild and out there things. Uh, we also recently got a couple of corny kegs, which is like a five-gallon keg that you could put a cylinder in. That's how we made the cop juice. You just rack a beer into it, put whatever kind of ingredients you want to age it on. And it's just a five-gallon batch. You could really experiment on that. Um, All right, so you mentioned your brother, mad scientist. Yes. Yeah. What's the craziest thing he's tried that didn't work, and what's the craziest one he's tried that did? The Honestly, the only true miss that comes to mind is we – so we have a line of uh, experimental IPAs we call Evolution, and the last one we did I think was Evolution 11. He tried to do a cherry vanilla IPA, and at first it just didn't – we weren't overly happy with it, but a lot of times what we do when we're not happy with something is we leave it in the cooler for a while, and then we try it. And we tried it a week or two ago, and it was way the hell better than the first time. Uh, I think we also did that with a, uh, a brown ale. We just weren't happy with it. Just kind of left it in the back, and all of a sudden, holy crap, it's really good. Uh, and a mint, we did a, actually a mint stout that the same thing. Uh, it was aged on Andy's candies, oh and God, it tastes yes. like toothpaste. <laughs> like, I mean, I might as well have been drinking Crest. <laughs> so we threw it in the back for three months, P- pulled it out. Eh, it kind of tastes like candy canes now. Put it in the back for another two months, pulled it out. It was Andy's candies. Everything came through. And it's just amazing how, you know what, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Let me age it. Then you find the right time to serve it. Uh, that's kind of cool. As far as certain hits, uh, we did a, a uh, boysenberry cobbler called The Boys Are Back. And that was, I I don't think, I think when we did our cobbler series, we couldn't keep them on tap long enough. Just people were drinking them up. I mean, we did a a, a strawberry rhubarb that flew. We did a peach uh, that flew. A blueberry, as mentioned earlier, those just kind of, you can't keep them in stock. Uh, And actually, if you want to talk real mad scientists, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Sterling Sterling Tavern, uh, but we did a beer dinner with them. And there are some mad scientists in, in the kitchen, and they asked us to do some mad scientist work on the beer side to pair. We made a Oreo Golden Stout, a pizza Ooh. saison. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. A peach grotzer, which is a smoked wheat beer, which is a creation of my own. And You said wheat, right? Wheat. Okay. A smoked wheat beer, which it's like a beer with like bacon flavor. Either way would pique my interest. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure yeah. we're yeah. on the same page Yes, here. yes. <laughs> 
So, I mean, the, the ideas are endless. That's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're working on a little, on some things on our end content creation wise with beer pairing and, and food and things like that. So, that's awesome to hear that you guys were able to do something yeah, cool like that. That's awesome. We're planning another one with those guys, and I think a couple other breweries are going to join where us. Are they, where are they located? Uh, Sterling. I, uh, if I had my phone on me, I could look it up. I don't honestly know what town it is. I know it's much more north. Okay. Um, but they're, they made a, a crazy, crazy, crazy menu. Uh, I unfortunately didn't make it to that event, but I was told the stories of how mad science there. Pizza Saison. Yeah. It's just interesting. You have two beers that are, the names have to do with Back to the Future, and you describe yourself a mad scientist. So uh, you, you guys was, must really. No pun intended. The, yeah. lore, the, the lore translates to reality. Yeah. And then reality is also put in the name of the beer. So. According, according to the Google, uh, Sterling Tavern is in Morristown, New Jersey. Okay. okay. But okay. like. I believe the North Morris. Yeah, town. not yeah. Morris. Yes. Morris. Yep. Yes, that's, yeah. that's the one it is. I figured. So, okay, uh, leading up now, February 1st, one week, the four-year anniversary. What can you tell us about what people can expect if they're able to come through there? What, what do you guys have planned for that? So for the four-year anniversary, we uh, expand our hours. We open at 12. We close at 10, which is usually 1 to 9. Um, the first... Um, Three and a half hours is a 14 beers on tap. We're going to have our anniversary IPA. Here's the scoop, and I'm going to tell you. Um, the second part's just the quote for the name of the beer. It's not actually part of the name, um, which is going to be a milkshake double IPA with uh, pink guava and red currant. Ooh. Trying some different fruits. You can't use the same stuff everybody else uses. Um, we're going to have, a, you know, I'm not entirely sure the exact first 14 beers that are going to be on tap besides that, but I know that won't be on tap. Uh, at 3.30, we're doing time to release uh, for all of our employee brewed beers. So one of our traditions for our anniversary party is to have um, all of our you know, beer tenders and uh, production staff brew an aniver- their own anniversary beer. And we try to have fun with it and make like a little um, in-house competition to see who can get the best rating. Uh, I think what we're doing is we're bringing in like a 16-ounce can from any other brewery, and we're just going to make a pot, and whoever gets the highest untapped rating is going to take home the pot. Nice. Oh, that's that's different. I like like that. that. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's it's really fun, and we've got some really cool ideas. Um, Everybody's really uh, came up with some awesome stuff and some very different out-there stuff, uh, especially for us. It's just funny with 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 my day job. They talk about employee engagement, and people are like, "Yeah, okay." But when you work at a brewery, that mm-hmm. that that that's truly uh, you know the spirit of employee engagement and getting yeah, involved. Yeah. Like that's really awesome. It's, it's it's cool to you know have got you know our beer tenders all. This is all their second job. You know we're only open four days a week, so um, to, for them to either take a day off or find a time around their work schedule to come in and actually be a part of a pilot brew brew day which is not you know, something they get to do every day. So it's, it's fun for them. They're technically working, but it's not their usual job, and they yeah, get to absolutely. help out. Uh, they all had a blast. Uh, they worked with my brother and our brewer to come up with uh, recipes. Basically, just their idea, and then Mike and uh, our brewer, John, both collaborated to make recipes. Awesome, man. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. So, again, that's uh, February 1st. That's next Saturday. Like John said, they're open 12 to 10. A double milkshake IPA coming on, the anniversary ale, and uh, – a whole lot more coming around 3.30, so again, man. come hang out. Uh, we're here hanging out now. We're going to drink a little beer and uh, and get on with the pod. John, thank you very much. No problem. For coming yeah, thank, you guys. thank you for having us, and uh, we'll be right back after this. All right, so we mentioned we were going to talk about the health of some of the guys, so we'll start with Josh Richardson, who obviously 
they lose very early in the Toronto game makes that difficult. It was reported that he will be reevaluated in two to three weeks. My guess, there's no way he plays before the All-Star break. No. Hopefully, you know, right after that, they can implement him back in. You know, what do you guys think about that in general? And then, you know, Josh is a guy that plays about 31 minutes a game. Where, where are those minutes going? Especially, we already talked about, you know, where the hell has James N has been. Is, is it as simple as that? That's where he finds his rollback? Or do you think that there's, you know, another way that they attack this problem? Well, it sucks, man, because hamstrings, and I know I've said this before, are, are just those weird injuries. Like, I know this from watching soccer. Like, it's not uncommon to hurt one hamstring and then, you know, injure the other one. So I, I just hope it doesn't become a long-term you know, concern with them because with them being in our history of injuries, I just, I just really, really hope it's not a concern. But as far as who's going to fill in for him, obviously you're going to see Matisse play a lot more, um, and hopefully J- James Ennis just works his back way in the lineup because I, I, I didn't exactly love you know Shake Milton's time in there, so. I mean, a couple threes. So, yeah. It's funny. The, the shake, like, slander has been funny because, like, I, I thought he actually looked okay. And even early in the season, I thought he looked okay. But I've heard a lot of people kind of paint it your way, like, too. I, I, like, I, it's not that I don't like him. It's just for for him to be Brett's first option to come in for Richardson, I was just like, okay. Like, I, I mean, I know a lot of people love shake because he can be that guy with, you know, the value of, like, a – he has like what the minimum for three or four years. Yeah, he signed a full I mean, minimum for I think if, four if, years. If he can really you know work on some things, he he can be a a, a steal for us. But I I'm just not I'm not hating on him, but I'm just not really comfortable with him right now. So I think I mean I don't think Shake Milton is he's a bottom of the bench guy at best, and that contract is nice just because they have to have guys like that. Yeah, right, but. I mean, for being thrown into that, and like we, we've given credit to that Toronto defense, I did think he played well for what it's worth. Is he the guy that you really want out there in a perfect world? No, but he's a guy that you have right now, and for him being thrown into that kind of mess, I was pretty happy with his minutes. I, I kind of could see Brett using him almost like an opener in baseball, like where it's just like, I, I don't want to mess with the rest of the rotation, so you're going to start and play five minutes. You're going to play ten minutes total. You're going to start both halves. And, like, unless he comes out and he's just, like, dropping threes and, like, looking great, it's like, okay, that's it. And then it's going to be Thibault and Ennis kind of taking those wing minutes. So I, I think that's probably how Brett will use it. Um, we'll see how quick the hook is if the shot's not falling. But, you know, who knows? I could see Shake. you know, tonight feels like one of those games that's going to be, like, a weird game just because of who we have available it's the end of the Lakers' road trip. I think they've been on the road for over a week. They just played Thursday. We played Wednesday. We have the extra day. And I, LeBron played way too long in that Brooklyn game. He yeah. was still out there working when it was t- completely out of hand. They had yeah. one, I was watching at the gym. Again, I have to flex that I was there. <laughs> and I was like, why is he still in this game? So that may be an advantage. I mean, LeBron's, what, 34, 35 at this point? 35. 35? Yeah, and this is is their last game of, like, a five or six game. Yeah, Yeah, this is the last game of the road trip. So so I I just think it it has the makings of, like, could be, like, a weird game. I think it's one where you'll see some, like, like big runs, you know. So, like, you know, Sixers come out hot or Lakers come out hot, but then we kind of stem the tide. So I'm interested. I'm just, again, this is one where I'm really hopeful to win, obviously. Um, I'm not going to, like, go crazy. I think there's a possibility like it could be one of those games that stays close. And then because the Lakers, you know, LeBron kind of takes over at the end. I mean, they have LeBron really, and AD. We don't really have Jared Dudley. It's a big three. And oh, then all boy. of a sudden it's like all of a sudden it's like a 14-point Lakers win. And it's kind of like, oh, they blew him out. And it's like, well, it's pretty close all game. So I, I'm interested. When, when do you guys think Embiid's coming back? Because that's another thing where I, I've been really conservative. He, he had surgery on the 10th. 
a lot of people are thinking like he's back before that three game road trip where we play Celtics, Heat, uh, Bucks, like every other day. I think right at the beginning of February. To me, that still seems like really soon. What do you, what do you guys? Think? I, I mean, it's being reported that they're saying they think it could be within a week. I penciled the Celtics game as the one I think. Yeah. He could come back from because my thought is he's definitely not playing the night, and I honestly don't see why you shouldn't need him theoretically for the Warriors or the Hawks. So okay. if I want to bring him back, I think it's in that Celtics game if he's ready. But I'm so not another ru- week. So I'm not so rushing three him weeks, back. Basically. But that, I'm going off the report that said that he could be available. Like in my mind, I agree. I think that's too soon. They had basically the end of that week will be the month, and they said it's like a month minimum. So I don't know if this is. Him because he always just wants to play and wants to rush out there. And this is one of those things where you have to, you know, step in and be the adult in the room and say, sorry, man, but, like, we need you for, again, this whole thing has been, we need you for the playoffs. We need you for for the home stretch. This isn't the time to come back. And And it does help, like, this isn't, like, a knee or ankle or foot injury. My understanding, he's still practicing. He's still conditioning. Cause well, well, Friday he hand, returned so. to practice. He and was doing got some kind of like finger brace. And they're on saying yeah. he's going to have to wear that for a while too, which is the other concern. Is like that's the thing is if he's going to have to play with that and he's got to get his conditioning well, he, back. Then here's, like here's what we know, right? He's an All Star starter. He's going to want to play in that game. Yeah. So I look at the schedule and I think to myself: so you have Lakers, Warriors, at Hawks, at Celtics, uh, at Heat, at Bucks, and then Grizzlies at home on a back to back. I'm wondering if it's that Grizzlies game. I'm wondering if it's like, hey, we come off that tough road trip, might be an 0-3 you road trip. You haven't played against the Grizzlies and not against the Bucs? Mm. Well, you're I'd rather gonna, put him with the Bucs and give him off against the Grizzlies. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This first game back, put him right in against Giannis? I mean, first game back is first game back. It doesn't yeah. matter who you're playing. True. True. It just seems like the rhythm it might not be there. We'll see. We'll see. I, my thought was you bring him back for those last three home games. You hope to steal – you know, two of these next five. Right. And then you can you hold serve. You still have that big Clippers game the day before basically all-star break, which, you know, I think is another one of those, like, hey, you know, we'll, if, he's play- if he's playing, we're basically at full strength besides Josh. Um, you know, let's see where we kind of, you know, uh, stand against the league's elite. I definitely think maybe those last three. I guess maybe the Bucs. To me, the Celtics feels really soon. I just think that I, feels really. I strange. agree. I'm, you know, I'm basing that off of when I when I saw that somebody's saying that they think he could be back within a week. Whether that's so, just him. So, what do you think? What is your opinion? When do you think he'll be back? When do you think we'll see Embiid? What game? Right now, with with, with what I'm reading, I think it's that Celtics game. Celtics. I, I really do. Do is what? What would I want? I think I would want the Bucks game. Okay. I think I would give him till then. A couple more days, Steve. What do you think? No, I, I want to see him back for the uh, Bucks game because I think Same. of. That's the game that sticks out to me where it's like we're really going to need him. Of, of all these games, obviously games against Celtics, Heat, Lakers are going to be a little you know, tough, but you know, they're winnable without Embiid. Sure. But the Bucks winnable without him, I don't know. So I want to so, see him come back against the Bucks. So back to our earlier part of the conversation of how close these you know, two, three, four, five, six seeds are going to be. We were 3-0 already against the Celtics, right? So we have the tie break against them. We're 1-2 against the Heat. So I think you could probably make an argument that if he's going to come back, maybe it is against the Heat. Maybe that's the game you bring him back yeah. for. You try to even that season series up. So if you end I wouldn't up be being, against it. If you end up being – I think it's too soon. I, my preference would be that Grizzlies game, bring him back for that three-game homestand, take care of business at home, steal, steal the, you know, get the Warriors game, and then steal one more of the other four. And you're talking about a five-and-four stretch over the next nine, which I think – any of us would take in a heartbeat with Josh out and with Embiid at least right now out. I, th- I think 
looking looking at this deeper, I think that Milwaukee game makes so much more sense to me, more than the Boston one, because that Memphis game that you said would be exactly four weeks from the surgery having happened. So that makes sense. But they have two days off before the Milwaukee game. So it feels like if you're going to re-implement him and whatnot and try to ramp him up to go, that's when it's going to be. And then you're going to give him the next two days again. Is that to how prepare it is? So it's trigger. Celtics and then? It's Miami and then two days off and then at Milwaukee okay. and then home against Memphis. Okay. And then two, uh, you have one more off day and then Chicago. So okay. to me, it just lines up so perfectly that, you know, he, he practices that whole time. He starts ramping up before the Miami game. Maybe he's, like, doubtful for that game, and then he doesn't play, but you consider it. And then he has two more days to get right, want to go out there and perform. That's an 8 o'clock game. Well, it's at Milwaukee, but it uh, looks like – oh, it's TNT. So it's a primetime game. We know he sometimes kind of forces his way into those. Right, right. Wants to come back. So TNT against Milwaukee, who, you know, they routed on Christmas. And then, you know, you hope that you can handle Memphis at home without him – the next night and give him another two days before he plays again because after his first game, he's going to need the extra time off. So what's your prediction for the next nine? What's your record prediction? I think I said to you five and four. You think five and four? Well, well, so and when I said that to you, I think it was also based off, you know, what I had been reading that maybe he's back within the week. So let's let's say he comes back for the Bucks game. Let's say that's the soonest he comes back and then he comes back for that. Steve, what do you think? You're going to lose oh, tonight. You're going to win the next two. I had the Celtics game as a win, but maybe I'm biased. But we have. I think, to- I think the Celtics win that just like we went there last year and won that and one with Jimmy. Hitting just because you're not just getting swept. Yeah, I think it's yeah. just they're going to be like, we got to get one from the Sixers. They're going to come up five. So that's two and two. You lose to the Heat if he doesn't play. You probably lose to the Bucks even if he does. And then try to hold serve at home. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm feeling more 4-5 and five than 5-4 five and four now because I don't know about the Clippers either. I mean, they're a mess, so it's so hard to predict them that they're far us. out who's even available. <laughs> like the yeah. Between Kawhi and Paul five George and, and deals four, that they made. 5-4 and four feels honest. 5-4, you like, have to be happy. Would, would be the absolute. 4-5, and five, I think you need to not complain. And worse than 4-5 and five is, is obviously yeah. a problem. What do you think, Steve? No, I, I, I agree. I, if you're 4-5, and five, you're, you're – or I'm sorry, if you're five and four, you're really happy. And four and five, it's just like, okay, like, you know, right. Those losses can be without Embiid, or it's because, you know, he's, he's working his way back into things. And I don't know about this. Like, I wouldn't even hate if he came back against the Heat because there's two games, uh, two days off between the Heat and the Bucks. And then you sit against that's, the Grizzlies and even the Bulls. That's what I was so. saying. Just because of that, just because of the season series with the Heat, the Bucks, they're so far away anyway. I almost think, like, you know, I almost wonder if you kind of play head games with them. Well, and that's why I brought yeah. up the surgery thing, because that's my only thought, is you're talking, if the heat game is, is, you know, three and a half weeks from the surgery, it just seems like that's really pushing it yeah. and whatnot. If if I have my say, yeah, it, that the makes Bucks a lot would, more Bucks sense. Bucks would be like, but, what, one game, one day before, like, four weeks, basically. Yes, okay. Memphis is lit, is four weeks from the day of the surgery. So. so you're saying, you're thinking four and five, Steve? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm thinking three and six, to be honest with you. Um, oh, wow. I think uh, I think this is like a really scary, and, and not and that's a lot of Josh Richardson. That, uh, yeah, that's uh, not well, all NBA. And you brought up this stretch the last time you were on before we even knew, you know Josh Richardson was healthy yeah, then, right. and you didn't like this stretch. So this, it just obviously me, it just got worse. It, it, and that's and I'm three and six is like that's my expectation. I think two and sevens in play, which would be terrible, which would be bad. Four and five, I think it's like okay. It can't be two four, and seven. Four and four and five, it's like okay. You guys like kind of did what you had to do. Five and four like should be standing ovation going into the All Star. I agree. Honestly, like five and four over this next nine should be like okay. 
And I don't even care who they come against, like, whatever. Like, if you can scrape together a winning record over these next nine with with what, however much longer Embiid's out and with Josh almost certainly being out, I think you should be. That, that's a team we should be like, okay, let's get it together after the All-Star game and be ready to go. All right, two quick hits. I didn't really get to go. We kind of jumped around a lot. I hope everybody's able to follow along. A lot, lot happening and drinks flowing, which is usually how the latter half of these podcasts go. When we were talking about the time that Josh Richardson gets, I did want to talk about Matisse really quickly, so it doesn't necessarily even have to be in that scope. But I just do want to get the Matisse. Everybody was talking about the incredible shooting numbers he had early on, and then he has the injury. He has obviously regressed since, but a very positive stat was that uh, they pointed, somebody pointed out that he's third in the NBA in games where he has had at least two-plus steals and two-plus blocks. He is only behind Andre Drummond and Anthony Davis. This is a rookie forward who is behind only Andre Drummond and Anthony Davis in this category. He has eight games like that. So that's amazing. And uh, I believe Ben Simmons has six of those as well, if we want to give Ben one more shout before we go. But the shooting has obviously regressed since he came back. He's 7 of 34 from 3 since he returned from the injury, which is 20%. He's only 14 of 51 from the field overall, just 27%. Another positive, though, 25 stocks, steals, plus blocks in those eight games. So the defense has not lost a step. In fact, I still think that he's even actually made more positive strides in not fouling and not biting, things like that. Like, the growth in that regard has been insane. But we knew the shooting would regress. We didn't, to the mean, we didn't know how much, so... To put it simply, where do you do you think he can, you know, come back from this? Do you think he's basically going to end up more league average? Do you think he could get back to where he was, or do you think this is more of what he is, and that was a hot streak? I think he could get back to being at least average with the shooting, which I'm I'm not even concerned about because he's so damn good on defense. That's 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 what we really need when he's out there. I but think no, sh- Josh, no Embiid. Yeah. It, it would help if he, you know, shot those numbers He's again. Get the but shots. I'm not going to. Teams are going to leave him. Teams yeah. are going to say, you know, we're and, we're comfortable with Matisse. Style and to his credit, us. he kept shooting the, le- hit, the last two. Games. If memory serves, didn't he hit the last two he took? Yes. Yeah. So, so you know, hopefully that continues. I think he was like 0 for seven, and then yeah. end up two for nine. So I, th- the last I think two. he'll end up around average. Is is my guess? I don't think he's going to. I don't think the pendulum is going to keep swinging. So you know, like severely. Drastically. Yeah, I think that he'll get to you know a place where. He'll be 34, 35% from three. You know, he's just yep. not a good enough of a finisher around the rim. Although, dude, he's throwing down some, like, pretty nice dunks this year. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I, I'm, I'm pleased with Matisse. He's just got to keep shooting it, which, again, like you said, he, he was taking the shots. And that's you just keep doing that. And I think Brett's going to give him, you know, a long leash yeah. to do that. And with with both Embiid and Richardson out, it's kind of slim pickings now. And I, I – if anything, it's like it's Mike Scott. I'm worried if you know. I know he had a couple of nice games, but is he going to be able to maintain that? I, I, don't, I don't know. know if Mike so. Scott's here in two weeks, man. I'll yeah. Be, yeah, I'm not sure uh, either. I think, I think he has to be a salary that. match. Yeah. yeah. And the last thing I want to talk about, you know, Marty said he doesn't care, so maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe he maybe he dips out early. Is the All Star voting? And I don't really care about talking about anybody else, even though maybe Marty wants to rant on Trey Young a little bit more. <laughs> I'll listen, but we know Joe Embiid is a starter. I wanted to talk about, you know, like the voting, how it happens, though, and our guys. So Embiid was third in fan votes. It's fine with me. But second in the media and second in player votes as far as the Eastern Conference front court. I mean, he's only behind Giannis. You can't be mad about it. Pretty happy with that. There's, there's, there was no Bam out of bio bullshit happening there. So I'm pleased with that. 
The other two guys, though, I'm not I'm not thrilled about this. I I a bone to pick here. Ben Simmons, eighth in the Eastern Conference among guards in fan voting, fourth in player rank, third in media rank. The player in the media rank, no problem. Eighth in fan voting. I mean, fan voting's stupid. I think they should take it out entirely, yeah. but they never will because it's engagement it's and the they fans. need it. So I get it, but Jesus, come on, like this is bullshit. And then what no one seems to be talking about because I guess you know people still haven't figured out that he's awesome is Tobias Harris. Ninth in the player voting, seventh in the media rank, which is basically not ranked because it's everybody else. Like, and fifteenth in fan votes. Like, can somebody respect this guy? I'm getting, I'm frankly getting tired of it. Yeah, I'm really tired of it too. And we're we're just seeing Tobias Harris playing the best ball of his career, and people, you know, they want to recognize, uh, you know, Trey Young shooting up these threes from 40 feet away, and you know they don't want to look at, you know, the things he doesn't contribute to floor. But Tobias, man, he's he, he was being yeah. snobbed last year. People were mad that he got snobbed from the game yep. last year. He's playing better than last year. He's tremendously like, better defensively. I think, I, I think it's a it's a product of like them just being six, being like underwhelming this year. I think if they were. I think if, you know, they talked preseason, like, we're going to be the number one seed. If they were sitting here at the number one seed. Well, then why the hell is Trey Young starting? I, I hear, <laughs> no, I hear you. I, but, I, but that's the fan vote. Like, that's because it's I'm the just trying to say, I'm just fans. trying to beat you into it. But I'm saying, like, if, if the Sixers were the number one seed, like, Middleton's going to get in because they're the number one seed. Right. And he's borderline. Like, sure. you could say it either way. He probably deserves to get in. But if the Sixers were the one seed, no doubt about it. And you'd probably be talking about, like, Obviously, guys, we would have been playing better to be the one seed, but you're probably even talking about maybe four all-stars sure. the Sixers if they're in the one seed. So I think he's kind of going to get, like, the, the short end of the stick because of, like, kind of their performance so far this year, which is disappointing because, to your point, he's been better. So I, I hear you. Um, like I said, I haven't watched the game in probably a decade. I really – I honestly don't care about it. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm glad to see Embiid getting the respect he wants. Interesting, the fan vote on Ben. It's just, it's just interesting to me. And, uh, yeah, it's, I agree. It's disappointing about Tobias. And any thoughts on Furkan Korkmaz getting into the three-point contest? Can we make it happen? I, I, Marty, I, I, you have I, to maybe. know a guy. Me? Oh, you know guy? seem well-connected. I don't know. Maybe. He would be a good, like, just because we have the video of him doing the dunk contest. And, the uh, and like, the All-Star game is such a big platform for their international yeah, brand. Yeah, don't you, you want to get more yeah. international guys? And, and I want to see Matisse in the Rising Stars game. I think we will. Yeah, I think we will. I hope so. Yeah, I that, hope that, so. That, that was Valentine's Day. I hadn't even thought about that, and then people were like, "Oh, we got to get him in." I'm like, "It's funny because like I would be more interested in watching like a game like that, like the Rising Stars, and see." Like, yeah, if Moran, Matisse is in that, like I will that. watch yeah. it. I'll probably, I might watch that one anyway. Yeah, and I'm definitely watching the three point contest at Furk. I mean, put him in the dunk contest too. Furkan can be in the dunk contest and the three point contest. That's how good he is. All right, I, I, I now want, you know I'm on my bullshit. I want, Maybe I want Furkan to win a three point contest so we could say he is both the defending three point contest winner and slam dunk contest Jesus. champion. Dude, I will never. You will have to take could this podcast imagine? away from me. All right, prediction for tonight. What do you think? They lose. Lose. Yeah. Close. I think it'll be Maybe. close till at least halfway through the third. Okay. I I, I agree. Yeah. I think I think it's within four points either way going into the fourth. I think we hang tough for the first three four minutes, and I think we just run out of gas. Do you think this might be? We might not really be able to get in this, but the only thing I wonder is: Do you think Ben is more motivated or less motivated playing against LeBron? Oh, we're gonna get a good Ben game tonight. Yeah, we're gonna get a good Ben game. The way the Sixers win tonight is like an outlier performance. So it'd be like a Furcon going for like thirty. 
where it's just eight like, for twelve from three. Yeah, eight for twelve from three, and it's just like he can't be. You know, he's on fire, and it's like and one a, of those and where, a four point play. You, like you just have guys like diving at him, and then all of a sudden we're getting like easy dunks at the basket. I mean, remember we don't even have Pell tonight, so like think about front court wise against like AD. Yeah. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But I, I think we'll hang tight. I think we'll, you know, not embarrass ourselves, hopefully. Um, and, let's, again, it's not one. As long as we compete, I don't think I'll walk away with being super disappointed. Yeah, me, me neither. I'm also probably going to get, you know, <laughs> get under the influence a little <laughs> bit right, to, to right. get through it. He is going with the Lakers fan tonight. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that, that is the deal. All right, well, Marty, thank you for joining us. You can find Marty on Twitter. If you're not following him, then I, I don't I, – I can't imagine you're listening to this and don't follow him, but if somehow that's the case, at MW Teller on Twitter, um, shout out Design Tree. If you didn't see, we did an episode of the Treehouse at Design Tree HQ this past Monday. If you look them up on YouTube, you'll find it easily. Please go check that out. We had a really good time, drank some good beers and whatnot. And shout out the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. You can call them today at 856-904-5636 and mention this podcast for exclusive savings. Subscribe to us, rate us five stars, write a review. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and untapped at Process Potables. And anything else you need, processpotables.com. For Steve, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, and trust the podcast.